0: hello beautiful people and friends welcome back to my podcast this is natalie here and i'm so happy to be back with a new episode for you guys because i know it's been a while so joining me today on this episode is the wonderful inspiring wise and really poetic yeah megan watson in this episode today we are going to be diving into the topic of self love yes such a important rich and misunderstood subject so before i let you know about you know what this podcast is about and a little bit more about what we're getting into i'll first like to introduce you to Megan Megan Watson is a registered psychotherapist, the resident therapist at Alkeem Health, and the founder and owner of Toronto-based therapy clinic, Bloom Psychology and Wellness. As a licensed therapist, clinical supervisor, and wellness consultant with over 10 years of experience in mental health, Megan focuses on providing evidence-based education, expert guidance, and support to organizations and companies worldwide. In her clinical work, she treats individuals and couples struggling with understanding complex emotions, managing burnout and stress, and establishing healthy relationships from a mindful and growth-focused perspective. Amazing. So. Megan and I will be speaking about self love in this episode as I've mentioned and here's a little snippet of some of the things that we cover in this episode we will be speaking a little bit about some myths about self-love, specifically looking at how the journey toward loving yourself can actually be really overwhelming, right? It's not all sunshine and rainbows and as easy as, you know, the statement that we hear in our culture, just love yourself, focus on loving yourself. But how do you do that, right? We speak a little bit more as well about how self-love actually involves letting go of the version of yourself that you've learned to be or you think you should be, and how it actually requires you to get to deeply know and accept who you really are on the inside. We talk about boundaries and why setting boundaries are important on this journey of cultivating and nurturing self-love and what can get in the way of that and if you're a therapist, right, how decolonizing your therapeutic practice can help nurture self-love. How tolerating uncertainty is a huge part of learning to love and trust yourself. And how emotions are our guides on our path of life and how you know we can begin to see emotions particularly the strong unpleasant ones as tools rather than something that's here to hurt us. We speak about the importance of discovering or cultivating a ritual or a practice as a way of coming home to a place of kindness and ease within yourself. And Megan also shares one simple way that we can all begin to practice or use to begin our journey of practicing self-love and so much more i mean doesn't all of that just sound so amazing i promise you this is a really really rich and wonderful episode so take your time with this one grab yourself your favorite beverage get cozy and as always my hope is that this episode will nourish you and bring you the healing that you need Hello Megan and welcome to my podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I am okay. Um, I am present. I am sitting with I think a lot of things in my day. It's three PM where I am, so it's kind of in the middle of my afternoon and I I feel in some ways that you know you, you center yourself in the this time it's getting
0: a little bit quieter um, yeah I'm alright mm. are you? I'm doing alright too it's um, close to the end of day here in London 8pm <laughs> um, so it's definitely quiet you know I had my dinner before coming on to the podcast so feeling um, really looking forward to our conversation and feeling settled and am present I'm present as well So, we will be diving into the topic of self-love today, right, Megan? Yeah. Yeah. We
1: definitely will.
0: Mm, Self-love. It's a loaded word, isn't it?
1: I would say it's definitely a word that has been used a lot in popular self-help and like it's not i don't think it's complicated to grasp but
0: some people might find it difficult Mm -hmm. so before we talk about self-love and what self-love is about ways that we can practice self-love right and the obstacles to practicing self-love right? Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Megan?
1: Sure. Um, I am a registered psychotherapist and a mental health and wellness consultant. Um, So I am in clinical practice. I have been uh, for the past six years and um, I work primarily with you know, uh, Black Indigenous people of color here in Toronto, Canada, and and I work for a startup as well as do mental health workshops on, you know, improving relationships, managing stress, and uh, you know, essentially, my work is on showing up with radical openness self-compassion and just teaching a little bit about how to show up authentically and go in your
0: space mm, beautiful yeah so what brought you to i guess discovering your work right in terms of showing up with radical openness authenticity and self-compassion
1: um I don't know if there was anything concrete that brought me to the work. Um, I think my my initial foray into the field, my first practicum experience as a clinical intern was at an eating disorder clinic in the U.S. that really their focus and their ethos was on relational work and emotional work. And I had a pretty life changing experience working in that population and with those clinicians. I made some friends for life. And oftentimes we were given the freedom to, um, you know, at the end of a week, develop a group or engage in um, learning practice that came from our own perspective, whether you have lived experience or not. Um, You know, it was a free space for us as clinicians to be creative. And a lot of the times when we were brainstorming what we might want to do if we were the ones running the weekly group at the treatment center is we would talk about self-compassion and we would talk about um, self-acceptance and self-worth because for our population, which is women women and girls 14 and up, um, that was something that came up a ton <laughs> you Yeah, know, we weren't just talking about trauma and you know uh, all the nuts and bolts of working in an eating disorder world you know dietetics and body image and things like that we were talking about true authentic showing up and mm. from the relational perspective of the of the treatment center where I worked it was about finding authenticity in relationship with each other. And I think we really lived that as clinicians and as friends. Um, and so it just became a part of my clinical identity and who I am. And so that's, I think if I'm really thinking about like how I got there, that's a huge part of it. Mm. Um, I also just really love reading about it and, um, you know anything I have found on that topic, I've I found it really fascinating and have absorbed it.
0: So yeah, mm, that's so special that that was the orientation, um, an atmosphere at the treatment center, right? One of openness, um, creativity, permission. Um, that's so special. Yeah, it was really beautiful,
1: and I was sad to leave. Um, when I ended up leaving that practicum that so much so I had built such strong relationships there. I ended up, you know, a year later after more school and returning from my advanced internship um, at another location, I just cold called them and said, Hey, do you remember me and can I have a job? And they were like, of course, we definitely remember you. And, um,
0: coming any time and so it was just this warm embrace that has stayed with me Mm, a warm embrace yeah speaking of a warm embrace right that reminds me of our topic of self-love which I don't think is separate from what we're talking about here which is the permission to show up authentically, self-acceptance, self-compassion. What does self-love mean to you? Self-love is,
1: I think, in some ways, self-nurturing. It is a practice of turning towards yourself with intention. It is knowing and accepting and practicing whether that be through ritual or through commitment to being the person that you need to be without trying to be a person that you think you should be and so self-love for me means letting go of this idea that the version of yourself that you want to see is the version of this, of yourself that you are. And kind of, kind of coming to terms with that. Hmm.
0: So what, if you don't mind sharing, right, Megan, what was that, I mean, what is it like for you right now when you're practicing, um self-nurturing and connecting with yourself with intention, right? So that you can be the person you are instead of the person you think you should be.
1: Yeah, I think that that really starts with being honest with myself. Um, I think one thing that I've learned to do in my life and in my career is to really be clear with myself on my capacity and my bandwidth and what I can do. Um, Because I do so many things in a day, I think it just naturally has become a part of my self-love to reflect and be honest about that and how I'm feeling. Um, Because I think maybe before I came to this understanding of self-love, I wasn't very honest with myself about that. I wanted to be a version of myself that was more productive or was very active and always had time and energy and said, yes, 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 almost in a people-pleasing way. Mm -hmm. And I had to really let go of idealizing that version of myself because that version of myself got burnt out a lot. And it wasn't very easy to love myself when I knew that I had been doing things that weren't giving me the space to do that. And that had to start with being honest and letting go of that version of myself. And, and that came with a lot of reflection and um, just reckoning of who I wanted to, who I wanted to accept as myself and, and whether I was okay with that person, even if that person couldn't do as much or disappointed others. Mm.
0: so yeah that, that's what it looks like for me today yeah beautiful so there's so much depth there in what you said Megan right it's a reckoning right it's a real honest encounter with parts of yourself that are difficult to meet you know and um it sounds like for you it was actually burning out and realizing that I can't actually do it all and be this super productive person and super energetic person that does it all and has even more energy after doing everything on her on her list
1: yeah it, it was definitely burning out and not just physically burnt out I think emotionally burnt out um like as a therapist, mm. there's this constant give, give, give <laughs> um, to at least my personality. And I know other therapists that I know have that personality of always mm. wanting to show up, never letting our own stuff get in the way of the work. Mm. And I think that mentality had bled so much into my identity that I forgot to be a real person at the end of the day and mm. to say no and to not always give so much of myself. Yeah. And a small way that I did that was by setting, you know, really tiny boundaries at first. <laughs> <And> <laughs> at end, of the, end of the day, like I don't, I don't speak to anyone at the end of my, my clinical day. And I go upstairs or, go to a quiet place in my my home and I sit with my dog and I'll maybe look at some images like Pinterest or you know, I just kind of zone out a bit. Yeah. After my workday was done, my husband would want to talk and, you know, be like, what are we having for dinner? What are we doing now? Like what's going on? And I think that was too much. For me and so once I realized and I was honest with myself that I was emotionally burnt out as well and not just physically I was able to set a boundary to say I need 30 to 40 minutes to not speak to anybody and when I'm done then I'll have the resources renewed enough to be who I need to be afterwards but I can I can't tell you how many times I pushed that aside because I was stuck in that mentality of Give,
0: give, give, show up. Yeah. Where Maybe does that selfless. come from? Where does that come from? That let's um, self sacrifice, right? <laughs> that self sacrificial, like, um, my needs don't matter. I don't have needs. Let's just put you first and whatever you want because it's easy for me to forget about me. I mean, part of me. Has really questioned the Western colonial view of therapeutic connection. Yes. And
1: how much the ethics of human encounters, of healing, of therapeutic support is based on the dehumanization of self mm. in order to heal someone else. And as I practice, you know, a decolonized practice, I've had to really confront what it means to heal and and still be human and to have (laughs) needs and to think about how that affects others and how that manifests in the therapeutic work. And I'm not talking simplistically like I'm sharing my life with my ther with my clients and talking over them or Mm -hmm. you know, you know, making it about me. It's more about, you know, how do I how do I bring more authenticity to this encounter yeah. as, to, as a human person rather than the distant, I think, way that we have inherited um, psychological and psychotherapeutic support, which really started with literally not even looking at your therapist in the face. You're
0: thinking, I know. Like the
1: origins
0: yeah. of psychoanalysis. Yes, yes.
1: And so, you know, I, I never want to return to that distance I have benefited so much from connection and so part of it I think is like colonialization of healing and then the other part of it is you know your own stuff right you know you have to give a lot to do this work and Mm. I don't know about you, but I get that question all the time. Like, how do you do it? How do you listen to people every day? Like, you know, I can't imagine, you know, that's what people say all the time. I I say, I don't know what it is, but I don't even think about it anymore. It just is.
0: Like, how do you give so much to that question? Yeah. I'm I'm just wondering, you know, for listeners who might not be familiar with, um decolonizing therapy <laughs> right would you mind saying a bit more about what that means and what that looks like
1: i mean i'm i'm coming from the perspective of you know recognizing that as a woman of color i am taught within a certain paradigm, a certain learning structure, a certain way of being that has been developed and written and defined by mostly white men. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, a lot of the ways in which people of color have been oppressed in our society have been through these systems of power that colonize and take over and appropriate um, the
0: healing structures and methodologies of those indigenous black um,
1: people of color um, and take that and create lesser versions of that.
0: (laughs) For for example.
1: For example, um, mindfulness is a really great example of that um you know eastern philosophies traditional chinese medicine these are all things that come with true knowledge and generational legacies of understanding how to do this work mm-hmm. and i remember reading like a dbt manual which is a dialectical behavioral,
0: behavioral Therapy manual yeah yeah yeah
1: um and reading the intro and seeing how the creator, Marsha Limpahan, had, you know, kind of just squashed Buddhist Zen Buddhist mentality with like cognitive behavioral therapy and and kind of created this thing that is very effective.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it has its value. It, yeah.
1: It it has its value and at the same time it doesn't quite do justice. <laughs> to no. its predecessors.
0: No. Um,
1: so that's an example that I think a lot of people would be surprised by because, um, you know, as, as clinicians of color, we are more open in our space and we're practicing more openly within our culture mm-hmm. and our identity. And that often comes with returning to indigeneity or, like, indigenous ways of healing. Um, which can sometimes look like rejecting, so this is the decolonizing part, rejecting some of these systems that have been told to us. Um, One example my supervisor always talks about is um, engaging in, like, specific self-disclosure and therapeutic distance. I think maybe 10... 15 years ago I even mean, five years ago um it would be insane to think that you knew anything about your therapist at all
0: they would be in a pretty plain room <laughs> nothing of interest or value <laughs> to yeah
1: the person it would be very much you are a body in a room that oh, you reflect God. what is given to you yeah now you can be you can I, it's so strange, but I don't know, maybe you can resonate with this. Like, I was wearing lipstick and a, an outfit I thought was really cute in my internship. Like, I was in grad school. And my professor used me as an example of, like, how I had disclosed part of myself. And I had been too—it was, like, too loud of a lipstick. That's it was crazy. simple red lip. You yeah. know, I was probably wearing heels or something. It was just bizarre to me that there were— Things And especially as a woman of color, I noticed that not everybody got that feedback.
0: Mm. There were more
1: people who were allowed to be expressive
0: My goodness. Um, and
1: show themselves. And yeah. that's just a really small example of how colonialization and white supremacy finds its way into the therapeutic space from the first day that you start teaching
0: yeah. students yeah. how to be... Yeah, you've said so much there, Megan, that I really resonated with. And all these ways of being that we are being taught, right, as women of color, people of color in these predominantly white spaces, I find that I did not have an opportunity or even... um, I wasn't even aware, I didn't even think to question these ways of thinking and being and feeling until we had a seminar um, or a lecture on white supremacy and I was really shocked by how I had taken in these ideologies, ways of being and valuing ways of thinking uh, without even questioning um, where they come from or whether or not i truly resonated with them or value these same ways of thinking and being that i was being taught since for for so many years and the other part that i was like my god i i can really relate to that is the part about mindfulness you know as a as a woman who really values spirituality and as someone who studies and practices Buddhist teachings and mindfulness, I I was really, I, I can't seem to name how I was feeling at the time, but something just felt really conflicting because on the one hand, I was so pleased to see that mindfulness practices were being integrated into this therapeutic modality uh, of dbt but at the same time there was something about the way that it was being described that felt so ah uh, frustrating you know like it it's just scratching the surface of something so much deeper and um so much there's just so much more that was not covered um in the description in the manual that felt unsettling and wrong to me. So I totally agree, Megan, that decolonizing our therapeutic practice and even our understanding of ourselves is a big part of this journey of getting to know ourselves, getting to embrace and even forgive ourselves and to eventually, you know, learning to Nurture and love ourselves So when we think about boundaries, right? Why is setting a boundary hard? Hard. Why can it be hard to set a boundary sometimes? Or in the beginning when you're still when you're out of touch and you've never really Unable able to say no or even know what your boundaries are, what you need?
1: I think you just answered it, right? Like, Did I? Sometimes <laughs> you don't know what your boundaries are and you yeah. don't know what you need. And so it's really difficult to set something that mm. has no precedent, that has
0: no foundation.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, I would say it's also the ways that you've maybe learned how to set boundaries and whether, or learned not to set boundaries. Um, if you've been part of a family structure or dynamic in which you never were able or allowed to set limits, that can also impact
2: mm-hmm.
1: your ability to set boundaries.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I try to stay out of the whys in my work because I think there's so many different answers. Um, and I tend to sit in the what? What makes it hard to set a boundary right now? And mm. how? You know, how can I? How can I move past that barrier? Mm. And so I, because I, I mean, I don't know about you, but in my work, I, I find that most people ask me a lot of why questions, and they're like, "Well, why am I doing this? And why am I doing that?" And I'm like, "What well, is that helpful for you right now?"
2: Mm. Because
1: sometimes it's. Important to understand and to put context to the why, but oftentimes the why is just a space to know and to develop certainty that might not always exist. Which is a huge part of learning to love yourself is tolerating that uncertainty. Of oh knowing my everything. god,
0: Ugh, it's that groundless, middle, sticky place of like. Anxiety, fear, your shame response that when you just don't know, when you want to know and you just, there's no way you can't know everything. Mm -hmm. So can you see a little bit more about how learning to tolerate and be at ease with uncertainty, right? It's a part of self-love.
1: Well, I think self-love requires again, like I said, like you you have to let go of the the version of yourself that you maybe thought you should be. And when you let go of that version of yourself, there's really not a lot of inner knowledge maybe developed yet about who you are outside of assumptions and ideals and expectations and that is very uncertain because a lot of the times we work from those images of ourselves those idealized versions of ourselves what we are motivated towards the goals that we set and so loving yourself means being okay with letting that go and sitting with the uncertainty of not knowing who you are just yet you're um, respecting yourself
0: in that process yeah it's like this you're deconstructing this sense of self right all the layers perhaps that you've developed or um, yeah like I, I often um, feel like we have this external self that we show to the world and then this more vulnerable um emotional side that is so close to our awareness, or conversely, we kind of push aside because we are unable to reconcile with this more chaotic, vulnerable, unconscious side, right? So when you speak about letting go of this idea or this image of who you think you should be, right? Are you speaking more about, okay, this idea of how I think I need to present to the world or how I think I need to show up and how I think I need to be in order to be accepted or seen as enough or lovable in the eyes of another?
1: Exactly.
0: Hmm. So we spoke about setting boundaries, right? And learning to be in this uncertain place of not knowing right because we may not know yet right Megan how can someone practice tolerating or being a little bit more to find a a, like a sense of ease amidst uncertainty and change on this Rediscovering of self and healing process? I think this is always a difficult question to
1: answer because I think most folks are looking for a stepwise process.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, and so I've said this before, but the concreteness and the certainty you seek in this process is the exact thing that you are unlearning. It won't be easy. You won't be comfortable.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: won't feel good at all. And are you able to breathe through that, be present through that, allow yourself to get grounded, whether that is you know, through writing or talking to someone you trust whether that's meditating or you know um, you know doing a task mindfully like walking or engaging in some sort of activity that brings you a sense of presence and puts you in the here and now um I think those are the things that will keep you with some sense of psychological and and safety and trust
2: mm. mm-hmm.
1: um, but I can't say that you'll find ease in that process I can't guarantee that there is a specific steps so I think it's about grounding yourself and holding on to whatever feels
2: very present and real for you in that moment mm.
1: and, and recognizing that sometimes the search to know Will produce more questions, yeah. Than answers.
0: I, I relate to that, I know that feeling, yeah.
1: And to remember that, like, all emotions that come up are just guides
0: mm-hmm. to
1: help you on that stormy path, they're mm-hmm. not there to get in your way or to inconvenience you or to hurt you, they are tools. Um, whether or not those tools are easy to use yet (laughs) or ones that you still need to figure out and and have some time to get to know um it's like riding a bike you won't get on the bike and then just start riding I don't I mean there's probably a few people that did that but
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me, me neither yeah You will have to fall down. You will get scrapes. You
1: will feel destabilized. And just planning ahead and preparing to accept discomfort is a huge, huge step in learning to be okay with it.
0: Mm. Um, Yeah. So many gems there. So many gems. I love... You know, I think two things stand out to me. You know, one is that, you know, your search for certainty and wanting to have a concrete answer is exactly the thing that's going to keep you um, stuck, right? In the why and in a way in the quicksand, right? The more you struggle and try to find your way out, the more you're going to sink, right? And that emotions are not here to harm; they are your guides. They're here to guide. Mm-hmm. And I love your Instagram page. I think I already told you I love you know your words and your your design. You know, and I think of um, two posts that you post <laughs> pretty recently. One, you know, on how feelings are not; they are signals, right? I can't remember the exact. Hurting feelings are not
1: your enemies. Your
0: enemies, they are signals. Mm -hmm. And I think learning to feel, right, and learning to feel feelings and understand feelings, it's such a big part of this self love journey.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, because a lot of us don't know how to love ourselves because we are out of touch with the emotions that love can bring. And love is not just a space for positivity and complete infatuation. Love is also grief. grief, right? Love is also painful at times. It can be heart-wrenching. <laughs> it can be overwhelming and when we run from all of that negative affect, all of those negative feelings, we don't just close the door on all of the bad stuff, we close the door on all of the good, too. And I think by recognizing that your emotions are not just black and white and self-love is not just black and white, it's not just going to be good or bad or right or wrong or easy or hard, it's going to yeah. be complicated and yeah. messy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded by this. I'm reminded of this quote that says, um, Love reviews everything unlike itself, right? That love reveals. And I think what you said there, Megan, is so beautiful and wise. That actually, why why is it that we're sold, right? This idea that love is all about roses and. so romantic and you're always on top of a cloud floating and you never ever have to come down when you're in love but you're so right there's the pain of connection the pain of disconnection the grief it's just how can we even begin yeah 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 overwhelming like how can we even begin to define what love is
1: And that part, I think, is hard for people to grasp because, again, to move into this understanding, you have to let go of the idealized version of what you think this is. You have to believe that that version of yourself, the version of yourself that is attached to an outcome, a person, a presentation of self, a way that you should be or that someone else should be with you. And oh those come gosh. with sticky, uncomfortable emotions yeah. that once you get more connected with and I can say, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and be like, yeah, I just <laughs> feel your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I wasn't always this way. I wasn't always this way. And um it took me, you know, I was well into my twenties when I started to really do this work. Like maybe I had consciousness of what it was, but I didn't live it. I didn't embody it. I didn't practice it for myself until much later. And so there will be seasons to this self-love journey. And maybe you're in your winter right now. And you have a little bit ways to go before you find your spring. But, um, you know, circumstances can make it difficult. So don't try to push any sort of expectation on what it's supposed Mm. to look like and how fast you're
0: supposed to get there Mm. and when. Yeah, it's hard work, you know. It's hard work um, re-examining our notions and um, conditioning, right? And I think that is a part of the self-love journey too, which is a willingness to unlearn and examine what we've taken as truth, what we've just consumed as truth.
1: Yes, wherever that truth
0: has come from. Mm. And I feel like for me, this um, is is a daily practice, right? Because it's so easy to get caught up in what the mind thinks, and it sometimes it's so subtle, and before you know it, you might be reacting or behaving in a certain way that's not in alignment with um, your values or my values. Um, and what happens there, right? When you make a mistake or fall short, how do you talk to yourself?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean honestly, like. The way you talk to yourself, the values that you inhabit and embody, those are all things that I think when folks come to me and they say, I want to learn how to love myself, they think that we're just going <laughs> work on loving yourself. But then as we go on this journey, they may say, well, I don't even know what I value. I don't even know what I think. Have I been listening? Do I, do I pay attention to, the, to, to all of that stuff? Do I know where that comes from? And it just unravels and unravels and, you know, you find yourself on a journey of feeling completely discombobulated <laughs> and unlearning it all. And I think I, I, I say that not to scare people, but to, um, you know, set expectations that a lot of the times we are put on this world. um not very well equipped to deal with what it feels like to be human and life is just about learning how to be more human until we aren't anymore and
0: Mm. that's Mm. okay yeah yeah and i have been thinking about you know how awesome it would be if in our mainstream education and curriculum right We learned about embodiment, right, or emotion regulation and self compassion, and of those um, subjects, right, or even connecting with nature, the importance of, um, you know, indigenous ways of practicing and healing rather than placing the emphasis on very cognitive (sighs) um, modes of learning, like how you do a scientific experiment i can't tell you i don't remember nothing from my science classes i'm sorry if my science teachers are listening but um or or my math classes you know it's like but how amazing would it be if we learned what it means to be human rather than to be successful or you know you know what i mean yeah i definitely
1: know what you mean and um it's just, yeah, it's it's a hope. I definitely think we're moving more in the direction of learning yeah. more about that stuff. So I'll see.
0: Mm, yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about one of your latest Instagram posts that I saw the other day on rituals and what rituals mean to you right? I think the pose was on how you practice being kind to yourself, right? And you know, I would love for everyone to go check out that post on Instagram. Yeah, but can you tell us a little bit more, Megan, about what ritual means to you and how important it is to you um, as in your life as an act of self-connection, right? Self-compassion and all all of that.
1: I was actually asked this question on another podcast um, late last week. And one of the things that I said was that ritual is, is a homecoming. Ritual is a returning. Because when I thought about the rituals that I wanted to set, you know, it's not like I was unknown to that word or like how, you know, people used rituals. I, I feel like I was familiar. I was familiarized with what a ritual was and why it would be beneficial for me to use it. But for some reason it was conflated. It was mixed up with, The word routine, and every time I thought about like starting a new routine, I would have this aversive reaction to it. I would, I would try, I I would procrastinate. I wouldn't, you know, there might not be as much joy or as much engagement in it. I don't know. It's just the word itself really came with a lot of associations for me of obligation of you know yeah. duty, yeah, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. have tos. Yeah,
1: and so ritual really became a different word to use for those moments of coming home to myself, of mm. returning to joy and kindness and ease, and that almost felt like something I was I was aspiring to, and it helped me be it. more consistent in that practice, and it helped yeah. me. Think of less of, okay, well, it's 10 o'clock. I've got to be kind to myself now. Mm. It's more of, I'm returning to a space of kindness. I am coming home to a place of ease. I am safe in that ritual. And that consistent returning to was something that I I always felt safe to go to. And Mm. I think that produced a lot of commitment from me that otherwise...
0: Routines may not have engaged Oh, bless you (laughs) Yeah A coming home to a place of kindness A coming home to a place of ease I love that, yeah And What is a ritual that helps you to come back to a place of kindness?
1: Mm. I think you know I mentioned it earlier I take some quiet time at the end of my day I don't I don't talk to many people I talk a lot for a living <laughs> <laughs> and I listen a lot for a living yeah. <laughs> so I just find some quiet and I think for some folks that might not be a place a ritual for them. Mm. Maybe their ritual is a ritual of connection, rather than a ritual of disconnection. Mm. Um, but in this context, it's very very valuable to me to come back to a place of maybe recentering mm-hmm. without extra stimuli.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And so that's that's one ritual that I return to. Yeah. Um, I often think of like rituals and traditions as as siblings and so um, sometimes I have like traditions around holidays that feel really centering for me maybe it's like a game that I play with my family or um, Mm. just a, a movie that I like to return to or watch and I don't think it has to be already complicated.
2: Mm. Um,
1: it's just something that feels like home, something that I will go back to
0: yes. and I can put
1: maybe some more intention behind
0: it. Yeah, I love that. Something that feels like home, right? In your body. Mm, yeah. Oh, there's so much more that we can explore and talk about here, Megan. But I think we will have to bring our conversation to a tentative end and before we you know end the podcast here megan i had a question for you if there are folks who are listening to this episode on self-love and you know i think we debunked one of the myths right around self-love which is how it's supposed to be or like maybe all nice and soft and pleasant and actually no it can be quite it is it will be disorientating right and for folks who are finding it hard to love themselves because that word is so overused these days right in the commercials that we see um or in social media just love yourself and they're really struggling to know where to start right what would you what would you say again not as we're not asking for any concrete <laughs> answers but just you know where it would be a helpful place an honest place a safe place to start this inquiry
1: get to know yourself
0: get to know yourself
1: self-knowledge self-awareness it's going to be hard to do self-love work when you don't know, you know who you are and I think that's something that I've I found to be a good starting place for self-love work is again, if you don't have a foundation if you don't have a knowledge base of Who you are and what you like and what you don't like and what you value and you know what kind of person do you think you are and who would you like to be it's going to be hard to get the love uh, to know that version of yourself that person when you don't even know who they are and so if you are you know just beginning that journey I would consider thinking about like what? Parts of myself do I run from? If I were a friend getting to know me, what would I want to know? Um, mm. How would I, how would I want to get to know myself? Get to know that person. Um, invite them, and invite yourself in to that inquiry.
0: Mm. Start there. Yeah beautiful beautiful all right well we'll leave it at that then thank you so much megan for coming on to my podcast you know i find that you have a very poetic way of speaking and describing experiences and um yeah thank you for coming on my pleasure Hey everyone it's natalie here once again and i just want to say thank you so much for listening and if you did enjoy this episode be sure to leave me a review on apple podcast it will really mean the world to me to hear from you and your reviews will also help more listeners discover my podcast all right you guys that's all for now and i'll see you all in the next episode